Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Man, you feel good in your soul? I'm going to preach like Jensen this morning in 20 minutes. You believe it? And uh, I am. I am. uh, I'm going to preach like Jensen in 20 minutes. Man, I wish I could. uh, For 20 minutes, it's powerful, power-packed 20 minutes of message. And um, I'm not quite as bad as Perry Stone. He takes him an hour to set up his message. Then he goes into his points. Damon, if you listen to him, he's going to preach two hours. Um, And so it just takes time to share sometimes with the Lord. And I understand that, you know, as me, I'm, I'm privileged to just... A lot of times of what I'm bringing you is something I've been eating on for months. And I expect, sometimes as preachers, we expect someone to devour it in 30 minutes what we've been feasting on for some time. And so I just want to go right back where we're at. This is where I'm at, okay? And so um, I uh, I feel like, um, I'm going to try to preach without crying. I don't mean to cry all the time. Catherine, just she gets on to me so much, that's why I'm broken. Had my mother-in-law's in town. That's why I'm extremely broken. Now I'm playing. She's watching my life kill. So, no, I love my in-laws. We uh went to watch baseball all day yesterday and got near freezer burnt. I said I was freezer burnt. It was past hypothermia. Jesus. Um, we play baseball in the winter and we sweat at football games. I cannot figure that out, but it's just the way it is. But I feel like that um, the Lord has led me to the place I'm at. Um, And I feel like he let me hit Nathan's threshing floor personally to adjust some things in me. And so that's where I'm at. And, um, you know, when the Lord... And whatever you're studying, wherever you're at, you know when you first get those, those glasses, like when you got the glasses about seeing the kingdom message in the Bible, how you just was just so, because God's so amazing that you could never. I love the movie National Treasure because it is, you're always on a treasure hunt with him. I love his word. And um, when he puts those new lenses, how we begin to see his word and approach to it, that's just where I'm at. I found a new set of glasses. You remember on the movie National Treasure when they found the glasses, they could see something that was that was there, but they couldn't see it without the glasses. That's revelation, man. Revelation is a divine unveiling of something that was already there. Solomon says there's nothing new written under the sun, but there's a whole lot of stuff new that we ain't pioneered into. You with me? And so... I want to go back to Mark chapter 8 of the man with restored vision. And I want us to get into John 3 where we left off. And um, 
I am about uh, going after the things of the heart. That's just where I'm at. Mark chapter 8, verse. I got to find where I'm. Verse 22. I'm uh, reading out of the Passion Translation. So if you have another translation, it may not sound just quite. I love Brian Simmons. His translation, it's amazing to me. I know some people knock it, but they knock Billy Graham now, so. All right. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Father, we just thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Father, give us a fresh set of lenses. We may see you clearly. For you said the pure in heart shall see God. Don't let us live our lives under some self-created image. But let us be fashioned into the image of the Son of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Mark chapter 8 verse 22. He says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging to touch him and heal him. So Jesus led him as his sighted guide outside the village. He placed his saliva on the man's eyes, covered them with his hands, and then he asked him, now do you see anything? Yes, he said. My sight is coming back. I'm beginning to see people, but they look like trees walking. Walking trees. Jesus put his hands over the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. The man operated his, uh, the man opened, operated. Y'all pray for me right here. You know, I said the Lord healed my eyes and cleave road with me. He said, I'm telling you right now, God ain't healed your eyes. Go back to our daughter. <laughs> But he has and he is healing them right now. I'm just struggling a little bit sometimes, right? I'm looking far away from this. And so he said, Jesus put his hands over the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. And the man opened his eyes wide and he could see everything perfectly. His eyesight was completely restored. Then Jesus sent him, Jesus sent him home with these instructions. Go home, but don't tell anyone what happened. Not even the people of your own village. Now, I went into this last Sunday and I talked about this being a picture of when the grace of God comes upon our lives and we are born again. And there's a couple of approaches to it um, that we have some that believe you received everything. You received everything when you were born again. If you was raised up Pentecostal, where I have a strong background as a Pentecostal boy, we were taught you were born again, but you need something called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
and we were preached it. Moses went through the Red Sea and they were baptized, but Joshua took them across Jordan and when they made it at the flood stage of the Jordan, when they got in the Jordan at flood stage, it was a flowing river and that's when they began to go possess the land. Now, I do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I believe it's for every believer. Do you? The Bible says in Acts 2, it is for many even as the Lord God shall call. This promise is, is to us, is to our children and as many as the Lord God shall call. So it's a promise that's available to us. But I believe the Holy Spirit came upon us for a whole lot more than just a herk and jerk in the church. And we could come in here and flounder and flop and leave and people's not leaving transformed. They had an experience and an encounter. And let me just say this. I'm just trying to, because, you know, you got people that dice and cut. And so we believe because people speak in tongues that they're full of God. I don't believe that tongues is the evidence that you're full of God. I believe tongues is the evidence you had an encounter with God. But I believe Galatians 5, how much you can long suffer, you can love. Come on, somebody. How much peace is abiding in us. That is a measurement of the, of the, of the test of how much we're full of the Lord. And so God is not a, he, he's, he don't give us something and then snatch it away. Um, Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So, so we, when we, when we come into this touch of grace on our life, our eyes are open. There's a desire that changes on the inside of us. And I'm going back to Nehemiah 1, where he said, Lord, I pray for those who desire to fear your name. Now, how many knows this, that your desires, once you met the Lord, things begin to shift and change in your life, and the desires that were there are no longer there, and a whole new set of desires came alive. And so... Some of us got saved when we were kids. Some of us get saved in our 40s. Some of us, it is, there's just a lot of life before this, what I'm finding out that was before this salvation experience and that there can be things from our past that are hindering us from today. There can be things generationally that are hindering us in our walk with the Lord today. And so how do I go, what is the process of, what is the process of becoming uh, of maturity. You know what I'm saying? Romans 8. Y'all with me? I'm, I'm going to go somewhere pretty quick right here, and then we're going to get out of here and go eat. I'm actually, uh, Matt and I and some others are traveling tonight, so we, um, I, I just, I got a lot to get done today, okay? And so, but what is the process of that Romans 8 where we become adopted into the sons of God and we are led by the Spirit, and these are are, are the mature sons of God, as that these are, are, are no longer, um, the Greek words there, I think, are weos and, and, and technon. We're, we're no longer immature children tossed about to and fro, but now we become into a place of maturity where the mature sons of God. These are the ones that are displaying the kingdom of God. I mean, this should be the goal of every believer. And so a lot of times we just leave people in a nursery, if you will, because we've got them born again and the whole emphasis was on is we just get them saved and we just leave them right there. But there has to be a process of discipleship to come alongside of people. And I don't believe you got to have 14 dozen small groups to create discipleship. The word disciple means learner. The best way to disciple someone is ignite passion inside of them to learn. Are you with me now? And so when you ignite that passion in them to learn and to study, not only to just to study the Word of God, put them in... Um, 
put, I love what Bethel does. Even with their children's church, they keep a record of all the prophetic words over their kids. You with me now? Because the Bible says train a child in the way that they should go. We took that into Pentecostal church and just bring them to the house of God. You can bring them to the house of God and not be training them. The Bible says train them in the way that they should go. Notice how it didn't say train them in the way you think they should go, but train them in the way that they should go, that they're destined from the Father to go. And so we begin to look at that and then we begin to put them in places and, and put get people with those giftings around them to develop them and train them in what they should do. And so, so there has to be this process that we are willing to go through. And so what I've found in my, in my study is not, uh, not everyone's willing to do that. Not everyone's willing to be honest and go through a process of what we call sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, where God says, I pray that you be sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. The God of peace, that word peace, we went through this just to do a little recap here. That It literally means it is the unity of the fragments. God wants to bring unity of the fragments. I'll never forget Pastor Dale preaching a message. Remember when the thief cried out on the cross, he said, listen, remember me when you get in your, remember me when you get into your kingdom today. Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't believe the thief was asking him to say, hey, remember that I'm John Bagley in Sparks, Georgia. He wasn't asking him to remember his name. He was asking him, take the broken areas of my life. Can you remember what I've made a mess of? And God was telling him, hey, today I'm going to put everything back into complete wholeness and you will be with me today in paradise. And so what we've learned is coming up through, uh, through some things that were taught to us that wasn't clear. So we was, when we hear, be ye holy as I'm holy, that we thought that meant that the women had to be in skirts. I'm not knocking this. And they couldn't wear no makeup. Thank God. Come on, somebody, for some makeup other than skirts. And so, and then I never could get that because the men would always be like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? If they could, they'd be in Versace tailored, you know what I'm saying? And the woman come in, look like she's little house on the prairie. I'm going to quit, right? I'm going to get in trouble, right? I'm going to get email. You know what I'm saying? You can email me at Matt at whatever. <laughs> so here's the thing. So, what, But what we were doing is we were cleaning the outward man, come on somebody, trying to be acceptable by, by God. And what I found out, you can have a very nice outward man, but be a ravenous wolf on the inside. Jesus even said, be, beware, come on somebody, that they sitting amongst us. Oh, come on now. So here's the thing. We know that the kingdom of God doesn't work from the outside in, but the inside out. Even when Samuel approached Jesse's house, he was quick to lay hands on Eli because he, he looked a lot like me. He was tall, very built, good looking. And, and he thought that, you know what I'm saying? He thought that that was the man. But God immediately stopped him and says, hey, I don't look at people the way you see them. I'm not looking at his outward appearance. There's something. He got a good looking outward appearance, but there's envy and jealousy on the inside of his heart. And so, it, and, and even his father did not even believe he was a candidate. David was out on the backside of the field. Come on now. But God is looking at the intents of the heart. And so when we heard these statements like, be you holy as, as I am holy, we had this feeling that I could never even live up to the measuring stick. And here's the real deal. We can never in our own righteousness measure up. Come on, somebody. That's why we need the grace and the mercy of God. Jesus came so that you and I could measure up. That's good news, church. And so when we heard this, be you holy, now what we're now... 
when I hear be ye holy, I'm saying that God is, what God is saying is, is I want the unity of your fragments just like I am. I am complete. Spirit, Son, and Father. I want you complete in spirit, soul, and body. All right, so let's look at this. So here we preached last Sunday, and then I'm going to get into John 3. So what we talked about is not only was there a touch of grace that opened up the eyes of this blind man. He's blind from birth. Now, you and I, according to Ephesians, we were blind from birth. How many sins you got to commit to be a sinner? None. Which cause of what? Adam and his nature is bred into the human race. But how many knows he was not the, he may be the first Adam, but Jesus came what? As the last Adam. To totally eradicate that endemic nature inside of us and put us as the adoptions of sons. Now Jesus became what? The firstborn among what? Many brethren. Come on, y'all. All right. So he, Ephesians says we're blind. So when God's grace and mercy comes on me, when I got saved, I had brand new desires. For some reason, I mean, I just didn't like to get in the truck no more and listen to Kenny Chesney like I did. I'm not, not, I listen to all kinds of music, okay? I really like 80s rock and roll. I just do, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm just a deaf leper kid, man. Come on now. And so anyhow, uh, so, but your desires change. And here's the thing. How many knows that once I got born, I got born again on February the 2nd of 1998. Three months later, felt like God called me in the ministry. And I can't believe this, but my, but my pastor let me preach a few weeks after I told him that. Who lets a kid, 18 years old, they ain't even known Jesus but three months, and then lets he preach to the people? But it did happen like that. And, and so, so anyhow, how many knows that I had vision, but I didn't have the vision that I have of the Father today? And so what I'm seeing in this is there's this continual work. If Why did Jesus touch him a second time? Obviously, when he touched him the first time, something was activated in his life, but it was, a, it was another touch, if you will, a continual work of grace that was applied to his life that began to remove all scales from his life. And what I found is this, man, friend, I'm telling you this. As I walk through forgiveness, forgiveness is not something you do one time. It's a continual process in your life. It is impossible, man. Come on, son. It's impossible. Me and my father-in-law was talking about the church yesterday. It's impossible. Man, the church has got some jacked up gangsters in the church. Come on, somebody. And we're going to have to learn how to walk through forgiveness. Now, I've heard people say, well, they ain't even got to know that I forgive them. I believe if, somebody, if somebody's wrong, if you've wronged somebody, you need to go to the person and ask for forgiveness. So, but this is a big deal. Now, so it's a continual work of grace being applied to this man's life that creates restored vision back in. Now let's go to John chapter 3. I'm going to get into what I just shared with you just moments for um, we during worship. Pick that up right there. My God, it's anointed. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm just telling you. I could just lay down in the floor and cut the lights off. I mean, it really, it's really good. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. Whew, man, I feel the grace of God in this room. Man, I'm telling you, I feel the love of the Father just wooing us into that place. 
Oh God, I love you, Jesus. Listen, this is a scripture found in 2 Samuel 14. I believe it is. I think I have it written down somewhere in my journal. Yeah, 2 Samuel 14, 28. When I was a youth pastor, I preached a message on this. But the scripture says Absalom lived in Jerusalem two full years without seeing the king's face. There's so many believers that go to church every Sunday, but they never see the king's face. And I'm telling you, man, there's an invitation in this room for the deeper water of God. I'm just telling you, it's available to everyone in this room. Jesus has become our high priest. Come on, somebody. He said, boldly enter into the throne room of grace. We allow so many lies from the enemy to keep us out of his presence. Now, let's go to John 3 right here and look at this. Father, we want to see your face. Oh, we want to see your face. Oh, we want to see your face. So listen to this. When we talk about sanctification, the regathering of the broken pieces of our lives, the God of peace doing that, sanctifying us, sanctification leads into transformation, okay? Listen to this. I said sanctification leads into transformation. Transformation is available to every believer in the room. I said transformation is available to every believer if you want it. Or we can just wear diapers. and, As Jensen said one time, you know, God ain't called me here to Gainesville to bottle feed you and burp you at the back door. Somebody's got to get off some meal. Are you with me now? And get on to the meat. And we think the meat is some type of hard preaching, but Jesus identified the meat in John chapter 4. He said that my meat is to do the will of the Father. That when you're on the meat is when you have moved from desire to will in your life and you can do it. Come on, y'all. God is trying to transform us from infants of desire into mature adults to will. How many knows when you as a child, you love to receive? You heard that scripture, but it's more blessed to give than receive. You're like, you crazy. But how many knows when you become older and you become a, a mother and father, it is more blessed to give than it is receive. Maturity is taking place. You're no longer selfish. If you're selfish, just have children. They'll break it off of you. <laughs> you know, as, as, as you take the word diaper and you spell it backward, it means repaid. And I'll never forget my father one time, he, you know, he was working on my truck and I needed him to change, change the brake pads. Whatever. I didn't know how to do it, but I was ready to go hang out with my buddies. And I remember looking at, you know, he's pouring sweat. I can see him today. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he had sweat poured off of him. And I said, Dad, I said, you about got the truck fixed. I mean, I was going to meet, I was going to meet the fellas, you know, a little bit. He come and stuck his head out of my way. He said, I have one prayer for you, son. I said, what is that? He said, I hope that you have a son. I hope he's just like you. God didn't give me one. He gave me three. You with me? <laughs> All right. So in John 3, let's look at this. Let's read this before we go home today. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus who was a part of the 
sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Jesus answered Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience rebirth. I love the way he uses this word, rebirth. Listen to this. They will be death and rebirth will occur multiple times during the process of sanctification. Remember what I told you? That when I, because Chris Valentin says this, that our super, our, our, our old man died of supernatural causes. So I think a lot of times in sanctification, we think that God's trying to repair the old man. The old you was, the old man you died. He gone. I mean, he, he's, got a, he's got a grave. There, there's a line on the headstone saying when he died. The old, the old Adam died. The edemic nature that was in me died on February the 2nd of 1998 when I got born again. And when you read the book of Romans and we, and we, we hear the word sin, a lot of people stumble over Romans 7 and think that that's Paul in his apostleship struggling with sin in his life. No, that is before he met Christ, the struggle he had with sin. And he said, who shall separate, who shall, who shall get me out of this prison I'm in, man? He said, I think be unto God through Christ Jesus who has forgiven us and set us free from the sin and the law. So he's not talking about his struggle with sin. So what we got to understand in the book of Romans, it's not talking about the actions of sin, but the actual nature of sin has been dealt with. So when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't die for me. He died as me. Come on, y'all. I was in him. We were in Christ being nailed to the cross. So it's a lie to believe that the edemic nature is still in me. That's why Paul said we must reckon ourselves dead dead to sin and alive unto God. So the Christian life is not about rebuilding the old man. It's about putting on the new man. God help me. It's about stepping into the newness of what is available in Christ Jesus. It's a choice. This is where sanctification comes in. Reckon yourself dead to God. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive unto God and the willingness to walk into the new identity that God called you in. You have to put it on. So, the old man died of supernatural causes and God is not in trying to take the old you and repair him little by little so that he'll be accepted. What God is leading us into a place of trust that we can trust him to hold us by the hand to lead us into the fullness of death. Come on now. You remember Jesus when he had the disciples when they was eating fish and loaves, he had the crowd. Remember that? I mean when they was, come on y'all. They was, eat, they was eating fried mullet backs. I'm we down here in the south. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Huh? If we was up north, they was eating, you know what I'm saying, some grilled Chilean sea bass. <laughs> I've never been up north much. You can listen to that in my voice. God didn't call me to the northern states, I guess. You know? When I was a young man preaching in Jacksonville one time, the guy come to me and he said, he said, does everyone from South Georgia speak like that? Like in a very derogatory way towards me, you know, making fun of my accent. Because I said window instead of window. 
And he was walking with his wife, but he had grabbed his wife's pocketbook. And Greg, I told him this. I said, yes, but we don't tow pocketbooks in South Georgia. <laughs> he got on out the door. <laughs> so look at this. He's leading us into a place of surrender whereby we die. So notice how he told Nicodemus that a man cannot perceive to have sight to see the kingdom unless he's had a rebirth. So the rebirth means, now Nicodemus says, hold on, how can a man groan enter back into his mother's womb? He said, but unless a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into what he's perceiving. Here's a process. It's one thing to see. Come on now. It's one thing to ride by and see the cheesecake factory. It's a whole nother ram to walk in there. One, you just saw it on the sign. But the second is a whole nother level of experience. Somebody said a man must be reborn. So here speaks of a death and a resurrection. And as the man is resurrected, he now has perception to see. Now if he mixes what? The water and the spirit, he can enter into what he's seeing. The Bible says, washing yourselves by what? The water of the word. Now here is a discipleship practice where we mix the water and the spirit. We got some denominations that want to just focus on the word and then some just want to focus on the spirit. It's the merriment of the two. Come on, somebody, that brings, matura that brings us into maturity. We need both. If we got all spirit running around in here, Shandai, Kanda, see me tie my tie, you tie your tie, we don't have no depth. How many knows when the storm is raging, you got to have more than just a just Suzuki and Honda in your in your vocabulary? When Jesus, when the enemy showed up to fight Jesus in Matthew 4, he didn't speak in tongues towards him. He quoted the word of God to him. He said, Man shall not live by every by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He used the word to stand his ground, and you and I will have to use the word to stand our ground. Come on, somebody. This is how faith grows. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not just reading the word of God, but hearing the word of God. With the ability to hear God speak back to us his own word, it increases faith in our life. So now we have a man that is born again. He has perception to see, but there's coming a process where we start entering into what we're seeing. And here's my deal. is man, there, we, A lot of us in this room, we've got a lot of prophecy hanging over our lives. And Galatians 4 gives a picture of this. It talks about a child remaining under, under tutors and instructors until they become a full age. I've shared this story in here before, but I lost my dad when I was 26. He was 52. And Grant was two years old. But before my dad died, he bought him a bolt-action deer rifle. How many knows that Grant did not receive, it was his, but he did not have access to what was already his at two years old. Why didn't we go give him and say, hey, this is, this is, from, your, this is from your grandfather. He bought you this. He's two and a half years old. I want you to have it. Here he bought you. He already bought you a hundred rounds for it. Here they are. Go, go, go enjoy this. I wouldn't be preaching here today. He'd have, I mean, he'd have killed himself or us or someone else. He'd have thought it was a BB gun or something. But how many knows it took some maturing for him to walk and to him to possess what he already owned? 
Now, could it be the things that we're crying out for in prayer and as a church? It's not God withholding. It's, it belongs to us. It's ours. We have rights to it. But because we lack maturity, Jesus said it like this. I have many things to say to you, but you're not at a place to understand them right now. You can't bear them right now. So, so I just feel like, I just got to be honest to you. I feel like we're the man in, in Genesis 38. You remember the one who pulled his seat out? We, we got children here. We can't be graphic. Like, they pulled the seat out because he didn't want to have children. He wanted the experience, but he didn't want the burden of raising children. Man, do you know what some of the things that we're crying out for? I can just tell you some things that I know that we're not ready for in the South. Everyone wants to see the ending of Roe versus Wade, but how many people are signing up the foster programs? How many people are adopting children to end that epidemic? Come on, somebody. We need a a whole lot of work to happen. But yet we as a church, the only thing we know to do is cry out for revival. Just send revival. Well, who's going who's gonna to take care of the nursery to disciple all of these young believers when we don't want to be inconvenienced beyond one service a week? And now the goal is to make it even less. Let's just meet once a month. We can look through a video screen. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you, you cannot cheapen the gospel of grace down to our level of convenience. God will never be moved in convenience. Show me any move of God that has ever been birthed in convenience, and I'll repent up here for what I said. But now notice this. Go to any delivery room in any hospital. Have you ever been to a delivery room and they got, and it looks like, I mean, it looks like a Four Seasons hotel? No. A delivery bed is not comfortable because it's not designed to be comfortable in that atmosphere. It's designed to be rough. Come on, somebody. There's some, I mean, the woman's fixing to die, nearly by, almost die. I watched Catherine give birth to three of our children. I was worried on the last one because that was so big. But here's the thing. What's happening in that room is something's being birthed into life. If we didn't go to the hospital, look at this beautiful sunset over the water. No, it's rough in there. But what's happening is life is being produced. We're giving birth to something. So this whole deal of convenience, I, I, just, don't, I just don't see where we've gotten that out of the scripture. That's just John, okay? So here's the thing. So the water and the spirit at work in our lives is what brings maturity. This is, so, all right. I want to read you these verses of scripture right here and I'm done. The Holy Spirit does not intend to improve or to make us better. He intends to bring us into the fullness of death and make us new. A man must be rebirthed. All right. Listen to this verse of scripture right here. I'm going to read you these verses of scriptures in closing right here. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. We've quoted this a lot. Verses 4 and 5. So keep coming to him who is the living stone. Though he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight. Come be his living stones who are continually being assembled, who are continue being assembled into a sanctuary for God 
For now you serve as holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. For it says in the scriptures, Look, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and priceless stone, and whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. As believers, you know his great worth indeed and his precious and is imparted to you. But those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected and discarded now has become the cornerstone. I want to go back to verse 4 and 5. I didn't mean to read. Look at verse 5. You come and be his living stones. Who This is an invitation to us to come be his living stones who are continually being assembled. Notice that he did not say I build, but he builds. So here's the, here's, here's the struggle for me because I, I'm a doer, man. I've got to always be doing. Kevin says, you can't sit down and rest. That is a struggle for me. The, the rest is a struggle for me. But what I find myself in now is because of multiple dreams that I've had and, and counsel saying, you need to rest. Well, I do rest at night. But how many knows that God, you can't, you can't run on all cylinders at all times. No soldier's going to stay over. Uh, that's why they call them tours of duty. Because we can't leave them to non-stop fighting. They'll lose their mind. They look... And when we don't rest, we lose the ability to dream, to recreate. All of these things are going on. It's at a place of rest where the dream comes from, where the new vision comes from. And so notice that he said that we are not building this, but he is the one that is assembling this. This is good news right here. This means my job as the believer is John 15 to abide. As I learn to abide, he produces the oil in my life, which is where all ministry comes from. Ministry should not be coming out of my gift. It should not be coming out of my talents. It should be an overflow of the abiding place. And if it is not, we will head for a train wreck at some point. But when I come up in the church... We were not taught necessarily about the abiding place. We were talking about get a vision, write the vision down, market the thing the best you can, and do the best you can to make it. Meanwhile, we wrecked life after life after life. I'm not saying that I've got a better plan. I'm just saying now that I'm in my 40s, I know that... You just... When I started reading books like the emotional healthy leader and one of the second chapter was about your marriage that Ephesians 5 says when Paul talks about the marriage between the man and the woman he said I speak of a great mystery but I speak of Christ concerning his church that the minister's marriage should be a prophetic sign of the mystery between you and I So one thing that I did have when I was younger, when we traveled and ministered, we had to hand the envelope to the preacher. And it was a pre-typed out deal that was from our leadership or whatever, and we hand, had to handle that deal. And so that pastor got to fill all that information out, and I never got to see what was in it. You know what I'm saying? And that was mailed back to the leader. So if my family was, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like Asher laying on the front here half engaged, he wrote that on there. You know what I'm saying? If I spoke prophetic words, were the words accurate? Were they, you know, how, what, 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 how did I minister? What that did was keep accountability on our life. Folks, accountability is not nothing evil the way we've tried to, 
I'm not in for any control or anything like that. Are you with me? I'll never live under somebody lording over us. But accountability is great. But a correct accountability means you have people in your life that knows what's in your account. Accountability is not finding, you know, somebody keeping me from smoking a cigarette. But accountability is have people that's in your life that says, John, man, this is, this is what I see in you. Man, you got great talent and great ability in your account. And I want to hold you to an account what you possess. Live a life according to that, man. You with me? So notice that he said that we are being assembled. My job is to learn how to abide in the abiding place. God will do the work. He that hath begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus. He is assembling you, okay? Look at this verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a nasty verse right here. We can probably all quote it before I even turn there, but I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Notice this, that God's not trying to repair you. He's trying to lead us into a place of faith to take us to a place of the fullness of death so that we can live in the fullness of His resurrection. That's the whole deal of baptism. Baptism is not a public confession of faith as much as it is a prophetic act that we are going down into the grave with Him rising back up. That's what God used to kill Pharaoh the horse and the rider when He was after them. Baptism. So some people say, you know, uh, pastor should, you know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Um, so should I be baptized? I love the way John Hagee answered that one time. They asked him this, said, Pastor Hagee, because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, does that mean we don't have to be baptized? Pastor Hagee answered him, said, go get on the cross, otherwise get in the tank. <laughs> Listen to this. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response of God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you, here it is. Look at this the way Brian Simmons translated to surrender yourselves. The King James says to present yourselves, to surrender yourselves to God and be his, sac- his sacred living sacrifice. What? God is asking me what? To die. If any man save his life, he shall lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake, he shall what? Find it. God, I'm not sure I want to die. Look at this. I encourage you to surrender yourself to God, be his sacred living sacrifice, and live in his holy, live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For, for this becomes your generation's, your genuine expression of worship. Man, I'm making all kinds of words up. Stop, stop intimidating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live beautifully, satisfying, and perfect in His eyes. The King James says that you may what? That you may uh, prove, uh, pr- prove the will of God. That word prove can also be translated as approve. I love the way Bill Johnson teaches on this. And what he talks about is this. If someone had an authentic, so you say, for instance, you bought another house and you discovered inside this house there was a Vincent Van Gogh painting in there. Well, you, you, either, you either have a replica or you have something worth a whole lot of money. Who will determine the worth of that is someone who is an expert in that field, like Pawn Stars, how they go have to take this stuff to see if is the, is the signature real or not, if it's real or fake. How many knows if it's real or fake, determine on what, what kind of money you're fixing to walk out there. So what he would do is the expert in the field of the painting, he would know, he would know first of all, every line in Vincent Van Gogh's signature. 
He would know he would know the type of brush that he used. He would know the type of oil that he used. He would know everything that he would and what he would look at is the strokes in this painting, the brush strokes. Does it match the time in which he painted? Does it match other paintings? Does his signature look alike? Okay? So this says have our minds transformed that we may what? approve the will of God. It's the same way when things come into our life because of your mind being transformed. When you get sick, you don't buy into the lie that God has put this sickness on you. Come on somebody to try to teach you something. That is ate up in the South. People say, well, Granny got cancer. And you know one positive thing that happened to Granny because she got cancer. She gave her life to God. God had nothing to do with authoring the cancer on her life to save her. He sent Jesus on the cross to save her. This is how the view of the Father gets so skewed in this whole region of the South that religions told us is sacralized. And this is what paints over our kids. So I, I can't tell you how many emergency rooms I've been. Well, you know, God just took, took the child. He needed another rose in heaven. Man, come on. This is the most craziest language we come up with. And then we get preachers to preach a funeral and say, you know what? God took them. God's not a body snatcher. Man, who's going to serve a God and love a God and worship a God that you believe that he's going to take your child and snatch him right out of your hands at any moment? The problem is we live in a fallen world and the enemy is the author of killing, stealing, and destroying, not God. God, good, devil, bad. It's simple. So when I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer, I sat on his headstone and said this. I said, Dad, I never question, you know, God being a healer or anything like that. I ain't got time to go through all this. But I simply said this. I said, Dad, I apologize that the church, nor I myself, was at a place to eradicate this. But I said, I promise you this. There's coming a church. Come on, y'all. That will see the healing of cancer and every other disease. How do you know that? Because there was a church having to preach against tuberculosis in Doc Holiday's day. Come on now. But we don't have to worry about tuberculosis no more. I don't know what you believe, but I believe that the glory of God is coming to this earth as the water has covered the sea. I believe a massive transformation. I forget. I forget. I, I don't care what CNN wants to show me, what Fox News wants to show, what any other line media voice, because I do not get my news from them. I get my news from the good news. Come on, somebody. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. And Habakkuk said that the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah says that they shall beat their plowshare. They'll, they'll beat their swords into pruning hooks because of the harvest. We'll never hear war nor rumor of war. Come on, somebody. Isaiah said that God's building a highway of holiness that even a fool will be able to find his way on that. Come on, this is what God is doing. This is what God is doing and you and this is the hope that I live in because the other side is the living fear that believe everything's going to hell in the handbasket and don't give me no hope to raise my children or to train them in the ways of God believing everything is going bad. That comes from religion, friend. Come on, somebody. I've had people, well, Pastor, you ever read Matthew chapter 24? Yes, I've read Matthew chapter 24. But I've also read Isaiah 2. And I've also read in the book of Micah where he said that the mountains of the house of God shall be established, established above the mountains of the earth. I don't believe those that ran with the seven mountain mandate for all these years is just a joke, friend. 
And God's not going to let us go out with the prophetic voice being made a mockery in this nation. And so this is what we live with. So we, 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 we present ourselves in this place of willing to die, to live in resurrection, that we may prove what the will of God is. When I have a lack of finances, I don't accept that as I'm broke. The Bible says I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. He became poor so that I become rich. Come on, somebody. You can't lie into this. Well, you know, especially down here in the South, especially in Georgia, you got to look back how, how our even, I mean, how we was even established. We were established by a group of people that were in debt, in debtor's prison that was released and sailed up. You know what I'm saying? With Oglethorpe and them, it came to Savannah and established this thing in debt. God wants to do a lot of redemption. Do y'all believe that? Raise your hands. I want to pray before we leave. I want to pray. Well, I, this is my prayer here. I said, God, don't, don't, leave, don't, don't leave me alone. And I'm not talking about like, like him leaving me. I know the Bible says never leave. But what I said, what I mean is don't leave me alone. Keep messing with me. Keep, keep prodding me. Man, I'm telling you, I feel the love of God in this room. Father, you're not mad at us. You're not angry. You're excited about us. Zephaniah 3, 17 says, You rejoice over me with singing and dancing. You're so excited about me. I am your son, in whom you're well pleased. And there ain't no mountain high enough that will ever keep you from getting to me. There's no sin that I could ever commit to ever turn you away from me. There's no failure too big in my life that you can't fix. Listen to this. When I preach my dad's funeral, my dad was a finishing man. We call a finishing man because he and my uncle built houses. We had crews to frame the houses, but my dad's crew was to finish the house on the inside. And one of the last projects I helped him with was in Hoboken, Georgia. And my dad, man, you know, if you if anybody that knows this, you got to cut crown backwards. You, you just, it's aggravating. And I had a piece of eight-inch crown, and I coped the wrong side. Kather and I, man, we were, we were so broke we couldn't afford to pay attention back then. She was in college. We had grand. I was working on Saturdays just to, just to help make ends meet. God has brought us a long ways. And I remember messing that up. And I remember my dad looking at me and he said, you know what? He said, you can't never mess that up. He said, we'll take and cope. We'll, we'll recope it. And he said, we'll take that white lightning 30 all six and it'll look like nobody's ever touched it when I paint it. 
and I preached at his funeral, there ain't no way you can ever mess it up. Oh, you may be jacked up in this room this morning. You may say, preach, you don't understand my life. But I'm telling you, you don't understand his work of grace. And what religion's made is our mess bigger than his grace. And what I came to establish this morning, his grace and mercy is bigger than your mess. And if you will live with that, you will always walk with hope. The father, when he comes with his conviction, he leaves me with hope. But when the enemy comes with his accusation, he leaves me with failure. And I refuse. I will never live a day of my life in guilt and shame no matter what I do. And I'll never allow my children to live under guilt and shame. I will teach them responsibility, but I will never allow them to live in guilt and shame. So, Father, we love you today. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good father that can be trusted. You're not like my earthly father, but you're a good father that can be trusted. I can follow you down into that place of surrender. And if I can trust you to walk in that place, you will allow me to live in full resurrection. Thank you for restoring my vision. Thank you for moving me from desire to will and allowing me to eat the meat. And that meat is to do the will of him who sent me. We love you with everything today. Thank you for your grace upon our families and our children. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Will you give God a great God bless you this morning? Amen. Amen. Um, I just want to say this before we close the live stream. We're still on there. If you over there in the east side, we'll see you this afternoon, 5 o'clock, Ludowice, Georgia, the big city of Ludowice. So God bless you, friend. Thank you. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.